Welcome to the Blue Haired Podcast, with storytelling, magic and adventures in life, tales and the other world. I am your host, Halo Quinn, author, storyteller, philosopher and witch, and I look forward to sharing this adventure down the rabbit hole with you. You can find me at haloquinn.net, that's H-A-L-O-Q-U-I-N dot net, and support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash haloquinn. Hi folks, so this is the inaugural session of the Blue Hair Podcast and I am coming to you from Wild West Wales. This podcast is centred on storytelling, but storytelling is a vast subject which gives us plenty of scope to explore. I myself am a storyteller in the get up in front of a crowd and share an adventure school of storytelling, but across these episodes I hope to explore other forms with you, including real life tales from people in many areas of expertise and how they use storytelling to connect with others and to change the world. Why a blue hair, though? When I first started storytelling as a performance, it was almost on an impulse. Like Alice and the White Rabbit, I saw an idea. A path opened up and I followed it to my friend, Will Rathouse, who would tell tales in an Iron Age roundhouse down in Hasselhennis. There and then, I uttered the words, Can I be your apprentice? He was delighted, and we set about fixing my costume and getting me ready to tell tales with him. That summer, I donned blue. But I needed a name. Enter the birth of Taliesin. A great many years ago, a little way north from here, up in Snowdonia, on the shore of Lake Bala, lived a lady, Keridwen, her husband, Tegid, and their two children, a beautiful, fair daughter named Kraeri, and their son, Morvran, who was so ugly and so stupid, he earned himself the nickname of Vagthi, which means utter darkness. Now, Keridwin wasn't worried about her daughter, but she was worried about her son. How could he ever live a good life? He didn't have the brains, and he didn't have the looks, to either make his own way, or to charm others into helping him. And his temper, ooh, that little boy had a temper. So Keridwin began to look for a solution. Looks will only get you so far, she thought, but wisdom... Wisdom will get you a lot further. Now her little boy, he was too stupid to learn. So she turned to what she knew best. Magic. Caridwin knew all the ways of the magic in the world. Well, maybe not all the ways, but she knew a great deal. And she set to making a plan. She went to visit the local blacksmith who made her at her specifications, a vast cauldron, large enough to hold a brew. She placed the cauldron by the side of the lake and had a little hut built over it to keep it sheltered, because this working was going to take some time. She listened to the wind on the waters of the lake. She listened to the sun's rays shining through the green leaves. She gathered all the right woods and cured them for just the right time and then 
she went for a walk. She went for a walk through the forest because she had one problem that she couldn't quite work out how to solve. This working was going to take a long time. She was going to have to keep a cauldron bubbling for a whole year and one day. But she was also going to have to go and gather just the right herbs and flowers and plants at just the right times under just the right conditions, which meant that she couldn't be there to tend to the fire, and she couldn't stay there to stir the pot. Now her son wasn't up to helping, and her daughter was a little bit too young, so she needed help. As she walked through the forest, and she listened to the wind through the leaves, the water dripping from the fresh rain, she opened her mouth and sighed. Who will help me? The trees rustled. Ahead, on the path just around a corner, suddenly she could hear footsteps. Two pairs of footsteps, one shuffling and one bright. She walked on, and soon her path met that of an old blind man and a young lad helping him find his way. Morda was the man, and Gwion, Gwion Bach, was the boy. On the spot, Keridwen offered them work, in return for shelter and food, and they were glad enough of it. A whole year without having to worry about what they were going to eat next, or where they were going to sleep. Perfect. So they followed her back to the shore of Lake Pala, and when the time was right, they lit the fire, and little Gwion Bach climbed up on a step, and began to stir the pot with a great wooden spoon. Morda tended the fire and kept it going, feeling for the right wood, feeling for the heat of the flame, listening for when it snapped and crackled. And between them, they kept that pot bubbling, as Keridwen went out into the land and found just the right plants at just the right times under just the right conditions, gathered them, dried them, cut them, hung them, and added them to the pot, added them to the brew, the potion, that would grant her son magic. Not just any magic, the Arwen, inspiration, the knowledge of all the different ways of magic, of all the different kinds of being, of the land, of Wales. This would make him a great bard, this would make him a great magician, and so much wisdom. And little Guillaume stirred the pot, and old Mora tended the fire, and Keridwin gathered the herbs, and true to her word, they were fed, and they were sheltered. At night, Mora would bank the fire, and keep it warm for the night, and in the morning he would stoke it up again. They had time to take a break, and... I like to think that Gwion, as he ran in the fields around Bala, made friends with Keridwen's children, that they would play together as children do. And then he would return to stirring the pot, and the potion bubbled. A day passed, a week passed, a month passed, a season passed, a year passed. As the final day of the time needed, came to a close, 
as the sun began to set over the horizon, and the land was lit the beautiful dusk light, Ceridwen went to fetch her son, and Gwion gave the pot one last stir, and Morda gave the fire one last stoke, and as he did, the flames leapt up just that little bit higher than they should have done, and the potion bubbled a little bit harder than it should have done, and one of the bubbles on the surface grew larger and larger, and popped, splashing Gwion's thumb with three tiny drops. <laughs> he yipped and stuck his thumb straight into his mouth, sucking those three drops from his skin. In that moment, he knew, he knew that he had just consumed the magic of the potion meant for Keridwin's son. He knew that the first three drops contained all the magic and the wisdom of the Arwen, and he knew that the contents of that cauldron was about to turn to poison. He also knew that Keridwen was going to be mad. As she crossed the space between her home and the hut, she saw little Gwion dart from the hut's entrance and run across the fields. She saw the hut begin to shake, and she heard a crack and a fizzle as the cauldron itself split in two with a noise like thunder, and the poison left in the cauldron doused the flame and ran across the soil, pouring into the lake. She knew exactly what had happened, and she gave chase. No one was going to steal from her son and get away with it. No one was going to steal from her son and escape her wrath. She ran, her long legs carrying her closer to the boy. What do I do? What do I do? thought Gwion to himself as her feet carried her closer. And the Arwen struck. Quick as a flash, he leapt into the air, and before his feet touched the ground again, they had grown long and become covered in fur, and his ears had grown long and covered in fur, and his nose had grown pointier and covered in fur, and his tail, his tail was a white flash behind him as he landed as a hare, bounding across the fields and into the distance. But Keridwen, with her magic of her own, became a sleek hound hunting and swiftly grew nearer. She grew nearer and nearer until her sharp teeth could pluck three hairs from the tip of Gwion's tail. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? yelped little Gwion. Up ahead he saw a river and quick as a flash the Arwen struck. His hair feet carried him into the air and he began to turn into a sleek, 
silver, fish, his nose growing scales, his paws turning into fins, his tail great and strong behind him as his snout hit the water's surface, and he swam upstream a vast salmon. But Keridwen, with the magic of her own, leapt into the air behind him, and as her greyhound paws touched the water, they became dark and broad and webbed, and as her long snout touched the water, it shortened and became shorter, and her teeth grew even sharper, and her whiskers grew longer, and her ears grew smaller, and her body grew thicker and her tail strong behind her as she swam after the salmon, a great brown otter. She grew nearer and nearer, her webbed feet carrying her as fast as the fins could carry him, until her sharp teeth nipped three scales from the tip of his tail. <gasps> what do I do? What do I do? thought little Guion. He looked up and saw the light of the sun through the water, and quick as a flash the Arwen struck, and he leapt into the air, droplets of the river rolling from his scales, as he became a tiny wren, feathers shaking out into wings, nose becoming beak, and fins becoming claws, as he fluttered higher onto the breeze, and carried wind with the magic of her own, leapt from the water and became a sparrow hawk, spiralling up on the air currents just behind the tiny Guion Ran. She grew nearer and nearer until her sharp beak could pluck three tiny feathers from his tail. <gasps> what do I do? What do I do? Little Guion saw beneath him a farm, and in the farmyard were thousands of seeds littered around. Quick as a flash the Arwen struck. He tucked his wings into his sides and his feet up into his body and his head down into his chest, and he made himself as small as he could, and he spiralled into a tiny, tiny golden seed and dropped down, down down onto the farmyard. Caridwen landed, her great claws scratching at the surface of the yard. She rippled and shook out her feathers, and they grew dark and black. Her beak changed shape, her body shifted, and she stood a great black hen. One by one she ate every single seed, every single grain in that farmyard. One by one by one. <clears throat> Until they were all gone. She straightened up and shimmered with magic. Her black feathers fading until she stood there, a woman once more. Serves him right, she thought to herself, as she slowly made the journey back 
to the shore of Lake Bala. That little thief will never bother us again. She had not accounted for one thing, however, and that is that magic has a way of weaving between the worlds and between the gaps and between meanings, and the little seed in her belly became a little seed in her belly. And she discovered very soon that she was pregnant. She carried that baby for nine whole months, and as is the way of things, soon a little child was born. And oh, he was beautiful. And oh, she loved him. She laid him in his cradle, and she'd rock him to sleep. But there was just one problem. Avagthi. Something, something in his mind told him, something in his dark heart told him, that this tiny child had stolen his chance. And he, oh, he hated that baby. He hated that baby so much that Keridwin soon realised she couldn't leave him alone with the child. She couldn't risk them being in the same space. So with a heavy heart, she wove a coracle. She wove it with all the magic that she could muster, with all the love of a mother. And she wrapped the little baby in an oil skin, and she enchanted the bundle to keep him safe. And she put that bundle in the coracle, and placed it in the water at the ocean's edge, and pushed him gently out to sea. And the currents carried that coracle away from danger, and into the future. It was May Eve. And the sun was setting on a salmon weir, where Prince Elfin was sitting. He wasn't just sitting, he was fishing. For it was said that if a man could catch a salmon from that salmon weir on May Eve, his luck would be forever changed. So far, Elvin had caught two crabs and a boot. The sun was going... It was almost time to pack away, and he was sure that his luck was not going to change that year. He was one of the least luckiest people you have ever met. If you could trip over it, he would trip over it. If you could lose it, he would lose it. If you could stick your foot in your mouth, he would stick his foot in his mouth. Sometimes, literally. That salmon was not forthcoming. The sun was almost gone. The sky was pink and orange, and the sunset was glorious. For a moment before he reeled in his line, Halvin admired the light. And then he felt something tugging at the string. He felt something heavy caught on his line, and he began to reel it in. Perhaps, maybe, just, oh, maybe, this would be his lucky day. Maybe, maybe, maybe. He had just caught a salmon. It didn't feel like a crab, and it certainly didn't feel like a boot, but as he dragged it into view, he realised that it was definitely no fish. Still, something is better than nothing. And he pulled it up 
onto the weir. It was a small coracle with a oilskin bundle. Strange, but okay. Alvin unwrapped the bundle and found, much to his surprise, a small baby. A young baby with hair so fair it seemed to shine. And all he could say was, Behold, what a shining brow. The baby opened his eyes, bright and piercing, and stared directly into Helvin's soul. And the baby stood, something no baby that young should be able to do, and began to speak. Hell, Prince Alfin, as you have named me, Shining Brow, so I shall be. If you will take me into your keep, give me food and shelter and employment, then I will be your bard. Not only will I be your bard, but I will be the greatest bard that has ever lived. And from this day forth, your luck will have forever changed. Now what could Elfin do but say, Of course. For it's not every day that one meets an obviously magical child who promises to change your luck in return for work, food, things easy enough for him to grant. And of course, shining brow in the Welsh then was Taliesin. And so the baby grew to be Elvin's bard, the greatest bard ever known, Taliesin. And Ceridwin's son? It is not known how or what happened to him next, but many years later, the stories do name him as one of the wisest men to sit at King Arthur's table and fight by King Arthur's side. So, even Avagthi, even little Morvran, with what was thought to be his only chance, lost, finds his own way in the end. And that is the tale of how Taliesin came to be, how he went from just little Gwion to the greatest bard that ever lived. He went on to have many adventures, to carry the Arwen to the four corners of the land, to get Elven out of many a scrape, and to change many alive. But those are stories for another time. And so, like Taliesin, once inspired, I first became the hare, blue for the colour of the bards and the open sky, filled with possibility and the light of inspiration. It turned out that my background in Amdram and long fascination with folk tales, myths and legends, and my experiences in leading rituals, was a really solid foundation for enchanting visitors around a fire. But that too is a tale for another time. I hope you'll join me for episode two and beyond, where I'll dive into the nature of storytelling, the difference between truth and lies, tall tales and fiction uh, in stories, and all sorts of other topics. I'm interested in inviting people on who are storytellers themselves to tell stories or who use storytelling in their work and their life experiences. So for example, uh, disability advocates, historians, human books from the human library, and so on. 
If that interests you, then please follow my blog for updates on haloquin.net. That's H-A-L-O-Q-U-I-N dot net. Look for the Blue Hair podcast category. And you can support me and my work at Patreon. So that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash haloquin. H-A-L-O-Q-U-I-N. Until next time on the Blue Hair Podcast, I hope you'll stay enchanted and live happily ever after.